0: It's time now for Super Psychologist, Dr. Mara Harpell and your golden years.
1: Dr. Mara Karpel and your golden years this evening and every Sunday evening at 5 p.m. Central Time and at 6 p.m. Eastern Time right here on blogtalkradio.com and on drmarakarpel.com. And today is Sunday, April the 23rd, 2023, and I'm psychologist Dr. Mara Karpel, and we are back live from beautiful Austin, Texas, and we have another great program in store for you today. Um, and of course, Art Mendoza of Accomplice Entertainment, producer of this program, is here with us to make the show run smoothly. In a little while after the break, we'll be joined by both Alice Bonner, who is the Senior Advisor for the Aging Institute for Healthcare Improvement and Chair of Moving Forward Nursing Home Quality Coalition. And Mark Miller, President of the National Association of the State Ombudsman Programs. And together, we'll have a discussion of long-term care and what we can do to improve the quality of life for those living in long-term care communities now and in the future. And then later in the program, Minerva, one of the twins of of our two twins who bring us to all of our Mexico destinations, will be joining us by herself from Bay of Bend, Mexico. And after the show, you can hear this evening's program again by going to my website, and the link to the podcast will be posted later tonight, along with all of the website links that are discussed by my guests on the program. You can also hear the podcast in as soon as five minutes after the show ends, by going directly to Blog Talk Radio, that's blog com slash your golden years. And you can also hear it right after the show on Apple Podcasts. For information from this show and from previous programs to listen to previous programs going all the way back since we started on Blog Talk Radio over nine years ago. You can find all of that at my website, drmarikarpel.com. You can also find all of the podcasts at blogtalkradio.com slash your golden years and also on Apple Podcasts. And for upcoming programs and events, follow me on Facebook, Dr. Marikarpel, your golden years. This show is produced by Accomplice Entertainment and Psyched Up Productions and sponsored by a mighty good Wondering what to do after you're 50? How about having a mighty good time? It's free to search, free to post, and much more. Whether it's in person or virtual, anything can be found to connect with others. So start connecting again and go to amightygoodtime.com. That's amightygoodtime.com. All right, we're going to take a brief break um, so we can play some of our other sponsors' commercials. But don't go anywhere. It'll be very brief. And we'll be back with Alice Bonner and Mark Miller to talk about improving the quality of life for those in long-term care. So don't go anywhere. We'll be right back.
0: Super psychologist Dr. Mara Karpel will be back after words from our sponsors. Are you or a loved one a Medicare beneficiary? Help save you and Medicare money by stopping Medicare fraud. Fraud happens when Medicare is billed services or supplies you never received. There are three easy things you can do to prevent fraud. Review your Medicare claims for accuracy. Protect your personal information. And look for any suspicious activity. For more information or to report fraud, call Medicare at one 800-MEDICARE or call your local Medicare SHIP program at 1-800-252-9240.
2: Please visit us on the web at www.drmaricarpel.com.
1: And we're back. If you're just joining us, this is Dr. Mara Karpel and Your Golden Years right here on blogtalkradio.com and on DrMaricarPell.com. And now joining us on the phone, we have both Alice Bonner, who is the Senior Advisor for the Aging Institute for Healthcare Improvement and Chair of Moving Forward, Nursing Home Quality Coalition, and Mark Miller, President of the National Association of State Ombudsman Programs. Welcome to you both. Well, thank you very much. Uh, I'm very
3: glad to be here.
1: (laughs) I I just want to mention to both of you um, and also to the listeners that there's a slight delay when we talk like this. So it's good to keep that in mind. It's good for the listeners to understand, to be more understanding as well. So... um, Uh, You know, I've been doing a series in the last few weeks about improving quality of life for nursing home residents. Uh Uh-oh. Okay. Um, I think you both have important messages. Yep. I'm back. (laughs) So, as I was saying, we've had a the last few weeks, we've had been doing a series on improving quality of life for nursing home residents and other types of long-term care, and so I'm really happy to have both of you here to add to that. Um, what I think would be would be a good way to start is to have each of you talk about your your background and who you are, so our listeners have, kind of have a picture. Um why don't we start with you alice why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and um and what you do?
3: Sure, happy to do that and hi to everybody uh so my name is Alice Bonner, and I am a nurse um I'm also a nurse practitioner, and i've spent most of my career, which is about forty years um practicing in nursing homes and also in assisted living residences and in home care, Um, and, you know, all of it has been with older adults and family members and other care partners. Um, I've also been a family member myself for, you know, four older parents. Um, You know, most of them spent some time in a nursing home, so I also had that perspective of being a family member and, and going through, you know, all of the different issues and opportunities and quality of life questions that come up mm-hmm. with a family member as well. But, um, you know, now I do work on quality improvement and it's been very interesting to work with nursing homes all over the country um, and and find out what the pieces are. And by that we mean you know, what are some of the nursing homes doing to really improve care as much as they can. And we've learned a lot from places that are doing a really good job. And we're also learning about how nursing homes that want to do better um, can reach out and get resources to do that. So, you know, I come at this as a nurse, as a, a person who's done work in public health. I've worked for the federal government. I've worked for state government here in Massachusetts. And I'm really eager to hear Uh, what you and your listeners, um, you know, are thinking as well. So Mm -hmm. that's me, and maybe over to Mark.
1: Okay. Mark, why don't you tell us about yourself?
2: Thank you, and, uh, again, I appreciate uh, being able to join you and your listeners this afternoon. Uh, Mark Miller, I am the president of the National Association of State Long-Term Care Ombudsman Programs. I also currently serve as the uh, district of Columbia Long Term Care Ombudsman, and I've been doing this work for probably about 35 years. I've been an ombudsman in Virginia and New York, and, and now back in uh, Washington D.C. Uh, probably some of your listeners are wondering, well, what what the heck is is an ombudsman? What do they do? Uh, the simplest way to put it is we're a resource and advocate for individuals that are in long term care facilities, nursing homes, assisted living, adult care facilities, and in 12. States. Uh, we also provide assistance to persons that are receiving services in their, in their home, uh, usually under Medicaid waivers, but uh, in-home in services. And, and when you think of an ombudsman, I, I always like to talk about, you know, we, we're, we're doing a lot of work educating, empowering, and advocating. We educate people about the long-term care system, help them navigate that, educate them about their rights, and then also empower them to help maintain their so they can maintain their dignity and autonomy um, by exercising those rights and making choices about preferences and things that are important uh, to them. We also do a lot of work supporting um, residents and developing residents and family councils, which are great venues for uh, kind of putting forth uh, issues that are of a common concern. And then finally, advocating for individuals identifying issues uh, and, and helping address them when they can't themselves, investigating and, and helping resolve complaints, kind of at the, you know, obviously at the facility level, but then also some systemic advocacy, uh, reviewing and, and uh, making comments on state and federal regulations. So in a nutshell is kind of where the ombudsman comes from, and I'm glad to be on the program with Alice because uh, there are a couple of, there are a number of state ombudsmen. Uh, and residents that uh, currently sit on the moving forward coalition uh, that is looking at various aspects of how to improve quality of care in nursing homes. So certainly glad to be on with her.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, you know, I, 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 Alice, I think you, you, I, I'm in the position that, that you mentioned. I have worked in nursing homes for many years as a psychologist and that was my, um, training actually in graduate school is to work with older adults and now I am a family member so and it it really is um you you think that having the background professionally prepares you for your own family moving into a nursing home um and in some ways it does but in many ways it can be very eye-opening and quite a shock so um, yes.
3: Yes, yeah. I, I would agree with that. And I, I would say the same thing for myself. I thought, you know, well, I've been a nurse practitioner and I've worked in nursing homes for so many years. I actually started out as a nursing assistant before I became a nurse. So, you know, I I thought I, I had a lot of different experiences that would help me. But you're right, it can be very isolating. You know, when someone moves into a nursing home This is one of the challenges we try to address, and I'm I'm so glad to have Mark on this call, too, because it's one of the the big things that long-term care ombudsman programs really try to work with, you know, new residents and try to work with, you know, families and, okay, how can we make this feel more like a home, like someone's home, because, you know, none of us want to leave our homes as we are getting older. I'm getting older Um, You know, and we all are. And so this is about all of us. Every single person listening on this call, regardless of how old you are, this is about all of us. And, you know, again, the the social isolation when people move to a nursing home is one thing. Also, you know, having a roommate suddenly, a, a person maybe you've never met before, you don't know anything about them. Um, maybe you hit it off and, and it's a great, you know, a great partnership and pairing up with people. And sometimes it does not always work out that way. And so, again, that's one of the roles where um, ombudsmen can, can help. And, you know, nursing home teams can also help social workers who work in nursing homes, for example, and nurses and uh, certified nursing assistants. So I, I agree. And I think, you know, part of the challenge in the United States is, you know, we don't have a strong foundation of respecting and valuing each other as we get older. You know, there's just not the same, you know, emphasis on the wisdom of age and the positive aspects of aging that there are in some other countries and other cultures. Mm-hmm. And so that sets us up sometimes for, you know, in you know, 50 years ago, 60 years ago, You know, a lot of nursing homes were not near the center of town and people didn't go visit, and that's not a good model for any of us. We want nursing homes to be part of the community. We want them to be part of neighborhoods. We want nursing home residents to be able to go out and, you know, go downtown and and things like that. Maybe they go with a staff person, but I think a lot of these things are part of what we're doing with the Moving Forward Coalition which is to really focus on the voice of nursing home residents. We have a a nursing home resident on each of our working committees and on our steering committee. And we have a focus group with over 60 nursing home residents from all around the country. They give us great ideas and great feedback. So we're really about taking action by focusing on nursing home residents.
4: Mm -hmm, Mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
3: Yeah, and and Mark you mentioned um
1: family councils. So, um you know, my mom moved into this facility that she's in now and there was not an active family council and um I I actually did the work of it's not that easy. <laughs> I discovered, but I started a virtual family council. I live in Texas, she's in Connecticut. And a lot of the family members are pretty spread out. Um,
2: I I think that's excellent, an excellent idea. It's certainly a great format because when you do encounter concerns or issues, particularly if you're, you know, caregiving from a distance, it's helpful to talk to other people that might be experiencing the same thing. And with family councils, it can be difficult to, uh, uh, you know, to kind of get established and, and, and keep going and so I applaud your certainly applaud your efforts but I, I think unfortunately you know and this is to Alice's point we need to start looking at nursing homes as, as not being separate in a way but as active parts of the community because the residents that are there are no longer just simply you know older adults they they represent a microcosm of the community that they're in there's younger people with disabilities and all that but with regards to the family councils, we always try to help families understand that, they, that caregiving does not stop at the threshold of the nursing home. They still need to be involved. They still play an important role in monitoring the quality of care. They, you know, with the, if, if, with the resident's permission, they should be attending uh, quarterly care plan meetings and raising issues um, and, and remaining involved. But the family council really provides, I think, a good forum for people to share ideas and best practices and things that they're concerned with. And there is safety in numbers and presenting that to the facility. Family councils where they are very active, I think actually contribute quite a bit to the overall quality of, of life for residents in, in facilities. So
4: mm-hmm. uh, certainly an important
2: mm-hmm. important thing. I often advise folks, to ask if they're thinking about placing a, a relative, ask if there's a resident council, and ask if there's a family council. And if there is, that's usually a pretty good sign that the leadership of that facility is going to be attentive to the needs of the residents and to the concerns of the families.
4: Hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. I
3: I would absolutely echo that and say that One of the things that the Moving Forward Coalition is working on, and we have a couple of fantastic long term care ombudsmen on this work group, is uh, improving family, uh, improving resident councils, first and foremost, in nursing homes where they may not really know how to put that together. And, you know, Mary, you explained that it isn't always super easy to get people who are virtual and bring them together and coordinate those calls and and all of that. But it's so, so important. And the resident councils are also important. You know, people think, you know, sometimes mistakenly think that residents don't have anything to offer. Maybe they have some memory challenges or maybe they have physical challenges, but that doesn't mean that residents don't have valuable and important, you know, feedback to give to, the people running the nursing homes. So we think those things, we, we agree those things are, are very important. And one of the action plans that the Moving Forward Coalition is going to be putting putting forward it will be about working with a group of nursing homes to enhance and improve resident councils in those nursing mm-hmm. homes. And those would be nursing homes that, you know, have identified that they want to do more. They want to do a better job. They want to have more frequent resident council meetings. And very importantly, that they want to act on what they hear from residents. Because, you know, if they just sit there and listen, and the residents have really important things that they that they say matter to them, you know, it's important that the nursing home acts on that. And then mm-hmm. one one final thing about about this is a lot of what, you know, you and and Mark and I are talking about here are familiar things because we all work in this space. We all work in this setting. When we try to get updates to our laws and regulations, sometimes we have to go to Congress or we have to go to a federal agency like the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services. And the people who work and who are elected to Congress, some of them are very knowledgeable about nursing homes, and others are not. And so the opportunity mm-hmm. here, and I would say this to all of your listeners, the opportunity is to really help people who are in Congress and in state legislatures, help them understand what is a nursing home, what what kind of care is delivered there, what kind of quality of life, who lives in a nursing home, who works in a nursing home. Uh, believe it or not, there are people in Congress, we do not know, and there's other people who know a lot. So we mm-hmm. want to get everybody to really know and understand the setting.
1: What are some of the um, essential issues that you both see that really need to be addressed in nursing homes in order to improve the quality of care?
2: Well, Mara, this is Mark. Uh, I think Alice and I would both agree what we're seeing pre pandemic and also now it's it's the workforce issues, it's staffing and it's across mm-hmm. the board in, in all long term care settings, but particularly in nursing homes. You can't when you look at kind of all the components that go in that contribute to you know quality of care and quality of life, staffing to me has to be the the, the single largest issue. It's a high touch sort of work. And when I look at the complaints that the ombudsman program handles, 60 to 70% of them in some way deal with a staffing issue. There are not enough staff, staff that aren't appropriately trained or, or supervised. Um, it's, it just all comes back to having en- enough people and having people that are, that are trained and, quite frankly, you know, have the uh, compassion uh, to, to do this mm-hmm. work, and unfortunately, what we see are many staff that are really doing an excellent job but are quite frankly very stressed and um, because there's just not there 's just not enough of them and so I see staffing as, as one of the biggest issues. I see choice as a big issue as well uh, when, we, when we look across the country, people as Alice had mentioned do primarily want to stay at home if they can, but if you can 't you need to have of a robust uh, network of long-term care services and support. So it's not just, oh, I'm at home or I'm in a nursing home. You know, there's assisted living and other home and community-based services that kind of can also help the individual. So you have to have some choice in there. Uh, and then also I think it's the oversight um, and enforcement and monitoring of the, of the regulations that are currently in place, um, but also looking at, and as Alice's group is doing, Looking at what else needs to 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 be happening to contribute to um, you know to quality care, so it's a lot of things. But I think you know we start and end with staffing.
3: Hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I I I would a hundred percent agree agree with everything Mark just said. Uh-huh. Uh, we hear about it. We hear about it every single day. So people have said to us, if you do nothing else for us. Please help us with staffing. So, you know, there's, there's a number of different elements to the issue. One is we don't have a pipeline, meaning we don't have people who are sitting in high school classrooms saying, you know, I want to I wanna become trained and become a certified nursing assistant or I want to become a nursing home nurse and nurse practitioner uh, or social worker. Um, we have, you know, challenges getting people to go into geriatric medicine. So a lot of people go to Mm -hmm. medical school, but we have very few geriatricians um, and and so forth. And so we don't have enough of a pipeline. The the people who are working on that, um, there's some federal work on that, but most of the work is happening at the state level. So, you know, I live in Massachusetts. In our state, there is a uh, council for nursing workforce development, and that council is supported by the state government, funded by the state government, and they're doing a whole bunch of initiatives and have been for the last year and a half or so um, to try Hmm. to work on this pipeline. But in addition to recruiting people into, you know, nursing and direct care jobs like nursing assistants and so forth, um, we also have to retain people so when they go into long-term care they don't get snapped up um, because, you know, there's a hospital job that pays, 10% 10% more to do the same work or something like that. And that happens in a lot of communities. And we have to provide the support and the mentoring. And, you know, people leave long-term care or nursing home jobs a lot, not because the salary is low, which it is. The salary and benefits are, are low and they, they need to absolutely be increased. But the the primary reason people say they leave is because they don't have Enough support. They don't have, you know, good mentors. So those are things that we can fix, and those are not things that it should take us ten years to fix. Like we, we need to start fixing that now. So again, mm-hmm. the Moving Forward Coalition has an entire committee that's just focused on workforce. That's all they do, and it's you know co chaired by Jasmine Travers and Tzia Scales, who are two nationally known workforce experts in long term care. And so, you know, again, there's going to be action plans from that group that are going to address the issues that Mark outlined so well. The final thing I'll say is, you know, certified nursing assistants or CNAs are the backbone of the nursing home, you know, the nursing home setting. They provide more hours of care every single day with residents than anyone else on the team. They recognize changes in condition way before we nurses do. And um we have to do more to to really enhance their role, give them opportunities to be directors of the CNA programs to be training, uh, you know, supervising training and things like that. We can do a lot with that CNA role, and again, that's something that we can do starting right now.
1: So do you see um, the uh, the role of of legislation? In in improving those areas that you mentioned, do you think that that is something that needs to be a federal regulation?
3: So I'll I'll just add something, and then Mark can jump in, and I'll just say regarding the staffing, I'll just use that as an example. Where CMS uh, last year commissioned a report to be done about nursing home staffing levels and Um, staffing standards and things like that the report has not come out yet but it is anticipated in the next couple of months that may lead to changes in regulations regarding staffing so that's an example another example one more is you know if you're looking for a nursing home for someone you care about someone in your life um, you want to know who owns that nursing home and it's very hard right now to tell who actually owns a nursing home because mm-hmm. of the way the finances are structured. So another piece of either a law, legislation, or regulation could be related to nursing home ownership information, and CMS is working on that. So that's, that's a way to build on something that's already happening but you know, make it even better, even more complete than maybe what they're thinking about, or at least say you know, offer our support. So, Mark, what else would, would you say?
2: Yeah, Alice, I would just dovetail with what you uh, what you've just said. I, I, ombudsman, and across the country, are interested in this, the issue of um, transparency and accountability. We, quite frankly, don't want to see people that are buying nursing homes just to make a profit, maybe running mm-hmm. a poor home, buying more. And so the idea of knowing who owns them, I think, provides us with some additional additional information that, that can impact quality. Back to the staffing uh, issue, we are, uh, along with everyone else, kind of awaiting to see what uh, uh, what CMS puts out in terms of a proposed minimum staffing standard. We know from previous studies that, uh, you know, the quality improves as as the number of staffing uh, direct care hours increases. And, you know, there's obviously concerns. If you set a number, um, and generally when they talk about ratios in nursing homes, it's not, you know, staff necessarily to residents. It's the number of hours, the minimum number of hours of direct care service that a resident might need each each day and so finding that number uh, you know is only part of it because it goes back to what Alice was saying you can pick any number you want but if you don't have people coming into the pipeline that want to do this work or that stay in this work and are supported and see a career ladder in a the future then it just doesn't matter because you're just going to be recycling people and one of the biggest uh, I think root causes of some of the complaints that ombudsmen mm-hmm. deal with every day are well. We had an agency person, an agency staff mm-hmm. person, that was filling in and they didn't know my mom's preference, you know, in terms mm-hmm. of you know, how to work with her and and what her schedule is like. And so, when you're constantly turning staff over, you really you're not giving person-centered care because you don't know that person and that's really important because it's not just about walking in the you know in the room and doing you know providing whatever care is necessary it's about talking to that person it's about a relationship and, and and oftentimes staff become very close with residents and vice versa so when you're you know when you're constantly turning people over that just doesn't happen and unfortunately that leads to bad outcomes oftentimes so it's it is about numbers but it's also about I think consistency and keeping the good staff that you have.
1: I can I can attest to that as a family member <laughs> that the uh issues that come up that I'm calling, you know, the nursing supervisor about or making a complaint um are I would say 95% related to having uh somebody rotating and either either they're um hired as substitute nurses or aides to, by the facility or agency nurses and or aides and they they don't know my mother they make assumptions um and they do things that are also kind of strange that you would expect to not be happening no matter whether they know her or not but it's it's really with the people that um, are not the regular staff. So I can definitely tell you that is true in this situation.
3: Yeah, and I, I think, you know, from from our perspective, one of the things that I wonder is, okay, scenario that we have right now, what can we do about that? Like, you know, mm-hmm. how can we help? Because there are some people who work for agencies who are really really good nurses and nursing assistants and it's it's not so much that they don't care or that their heart's not in the right place it's literally that you know sometimes no one could do it because it's you, we've set them up with an impossible task in other cases that's not the situation in other cases you know maybe they're they're not the best workers or you know uh, they're not as invested but Figuring that out and figuring out how can we support people who are temporary workers and agency workers, or how can we really focus and really emphasize and prioritize building the pipeline and retaining people? You know, some of it is, again, it's this ageism that we've had for so long, Mm -hmm. you know, in our society where – People don't value older adults. They don't value nursing homes and nursing home workers. And so it's not an attractive career for a lot of people. Some of us, you know, like me, I'm 66 years old now. But, you know, I got into this when I was 19 in college and and ran out of spending money and got a job as an aide in a nursing home. And I thought it was just the coolest place. I just thought it was amazing. And the nurses ran the show and they did such a great job and they were leaders. And I thought I could really do this. (laughs) And I, Uh you know, 40 years doing it. So, you know, that doesn't happen with everybody. But the first thing is getting people to nursing homes and, you know, sharing the experience and and getting them to see what it can be like and really promoting a, a good a good place and a, a really home-like environment. So that's our vision is that, you know, every nursing home will be a community where lives are nurtured, residents are empowered, and where people want to work. Hmm.
1: Yeah, I think that ageism is, uh, you know, and I mentioned that uh, last week when we had um, Dr. Michael Wasserman on, who's a geriatrician, um, it's one of the isms that we have not addressed, right? You know, we talk about racism and sexism and um all the other types of prejudice, but ageism is something that just continues without being addressed and, and people have very biased attitude. I know I when I chose to work with seniors, as a psychologist in graduate school, I had several supervisors. They asked me why I wanted to do that. It seemed it, it seemed like a waste of my time, and um, and I know Dr. Wasserman had that same experience in medical school. So it's across the board. I think people are discouraged yes. even if they're interested.
3: Yes, I think that's true, and I will say that Dr. Mike Wasserman is on one of our committees and he co-chairs a work group, and he's very active in the coalition, um, as well as, you know, Mark and and his colleagues who are long-term care ombudsman. We also, you know, we work with the quality improvement organizations. Sometimes they're called QIOs. They do a lot of quality improvement work with nursing homes in their regions, um, we work with, you know, the American Geriatric Society, the gerontological Society of America and and other groups, leading age, um and, and others. So, you know, it's gonna take all of us together to do this. It's you know, we've been so fragmented over time and we've been in silos where, you know, we're all working on the same things sometimes, but we don't know about our colleagues that are just down the road doing <laughs> doing something similar. Uh-huh. So the purpose of the coalition is really to bring groups together, organizations, to come together, to be a coalition, to put our vision and our mission and our values out there and say, you know, we can do this. We can get rid of, we we can eliminate ageism, we can change the, you know, the framing about nursing homes and what they are, um, and, and we can do a much better job with long-term care settings.
1: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, I have I have another question about the ombudsman um, program, uh, Mark. You, what would you say to family members who are afraid to be in contact with the ombudsman that there might be retribution from the nursing home? Because I know there are signs everywhere in my mom's nursing home about the the ombudsman program in her area and the phone number to call. But, if you mention ombudsman, people feel threatened that you're 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 uh going after them in a negative way it's It's not considered a positive thing to do so how how can you how can we address that
2: yeah i that's a great question, and I, there is a certain level of fear of retaliation for for raising your voice and speaking out, not just in nursing homes, but I think in many places in society these days. And but in a nursing home, it's particularly, um, I think, difficult because it's not like any other service where I'm not happy, I can say something about it, and I walk away. These people, these residents, don't walk away. This is their, this is their home. So they should feel, you know, empowered to be able to speak up when something isn't right. But the fear is, is very real. What we as ombudsman have attempted to do, I mean, there's probably two things that would be good for your listeners to know. One is confidentiality is the cornerstone of the ombudsman program. People can tell us whatever things, um, they, they wish we will not intervene or take action on their, on their behalf without their permission. Uh, so, because, you know, sometimes they're, they are fearful. What we will do in those situations, though, is we can talk to other residents and maybe determine are other residents experiencing the same problem, like waiting for a long time to get assistance to go um, to the bathroom, maybe not getting showers on the days they want, um, those maybe not having activities that are meaningful to them, all those sorts of things. Uh, So we can sometimes bundle those complaints, so to speak, and identify systemic issues and then raise them with the facility without identifying an individual resident. So sometimes that's helpful. The other thing is I've often said, you know, our job is to provide a regular presence and identify issues before they become large systemic problems. Uh, And that we work not just with the residents, but also with having a positive working relationship with the facility, because if we identify these issues and they address them, much less of a chance that when the health department, who are the regulators, come in, uh, that they're going to they're going to find that issue and then cite the facility or find them. Um, so I think you know it takes good local ombudsmen that are in there on a regular basis in facilities, working not just with residents but also establishing a, a relationship with the, with the staff and the, the leadership of the, of the facility. And I think that can put some of that to rest. And I've talked with administrators uh, on numerous occasions about addressing the resident council and the residents generally about if they do have an issue, that they should feel free to come to them without fear of retribution. Um, you know, and unfortunately some facilities, they have a grievance process, but nobody knows what it is. And so on, but uh-huh. I working with the facilities to say, mm-hmm. you know, you need to let people know, you need to let families know what the process is because that's part of the frustration that we see is they don't often talk to the right person they need to talk to, to get their issue um, resolved. So back to your point though, it is, it's tough. I mean, it's particularly if you can't be there and, and uh, Mara, I think your situation is pretty representative. You're, you're in Texas, your mom is, you know, a thousand miles away, you're not there to mm-hmm. check on her every day. And that's, yeah, that can be concerning. But if you've got a good ombudsman, you've got good facility staff that want to provide quality care, it, it can work.
1: Mm-hmm. Okay, okay. So I know we're, we're winding down, but I want to let, I want you to both let listeners know how what they can do, if they, and especially if they uh, are a family member or are themselves in long-term care. Um, how can they be involved? So,
3: so first of all, Alice, how can people get involved in moving forward? Well, that is a great question, and the easiest way is to go to our website and if you if you just go into your search engine whether it's Google or Chrome or whatever Safari and just if you just type in moving forward coalition our site will probably pop right up um, so it's you know the the website is www.movingforwardcoalition.org and on the website we have all of our information so People can look and see what our priority documents say. They're all posted publicly there. We have news and updates. We have all the actions that we're taking. We have events such as our coalition conversations. Um, I think Mark and his colleagues have been on, uh, for sure, have been on some of those. And we had one on Friday that was about innovation around the pandemic, We've had other other topics um, that are of interest to family members and care partners. So we encourage people. You know, we usually have over a hundred people on those calls listening in. And if you click, if you want to be more involved, you can click on the Get Connected button, and just send us your email and your name, and we will send you our monthly newsletter and any updates and events. But don't worry, we do not send a lot of emails. It's basically one email a month or so. Okay. So that, okay. That may be involved, and and you know, as we roll out our action plans, which is what's happening in the summer, like in July, we're going to be posting them publicly. That's when we're going to have more activities for people to really engage in at the state level and with local, you know, nursing homes, as as Mark is describing. So we really hope people will, who are listening, will uh, take an interest and in, will try to get involved. So Mark, what do say?
2: Yeah. Thanks. I, I, in terms of being involved, if if you don't have a family council, try to start one. If you need help with that, you can go to the facility. Usually, the um, director of activities or the social worker, or contact the local ombudsman. Our number needs to be posted. If you can't find it, um, you can you can find it through our. Website: The National Association of State Long-Term Care Ombudsman Programs. It's a very simple website. It's www.nasop.org. Uh, and you can mm-hmm. find who your state ombudsman is. Uh, the local ombudsman all over the country. Many we rely heavily on volunteers. So some of your listeners, even if they don't have a relative in a facility. Uh, but are interested in helping improve quality of care in facilities, volunteers are the lifeblood of the ombudsman program. Um, And so there are many volunteer opportunities uh, to to contribute to improving the quality of care for residents. So I would encourage folks to consider
1: that. Okay. And I I want to mention that um, uh, the way that I Got help in starting a, the family council at my mom's facility. Was um, I was in touch with I, through the state ombudsman? They put me in touch with a statewide family council. Um, so I don't know if every state has that, but Connecticut does. And so that Not might be in state other states. Some,
2: some states do do uh, do better than others, perhaps in that area. But um, there are, uh, for instance, in the district, we have a leadership council of councils, so it's uh, kind of a group of all those family and resident councils that come together quarterly, Uh, and that's also a a great kind of source of support if you're looking to start a family council uh, in a facility that doesn't currently have one.
1: Okay, and that's all through the state ombudsman program? The
2: state ombudsman, yes. The state ombudsman should Mm -hmm. know and and be able to to, uh, connect you to those resources.
3: Okay, and and we would also we would also say I I would echo everything Mark has said on this call and uh, you know uh, when I was Secretary of Elder Affairs in Massachusetts the ombudsman program was in our in our agency and they are just incredibly valuable I can't say enough about that program so hopefully people who are listening, you know, will think about supporting the program and and really developing it in any way that they can help with that in in their local area.
1: Great. Great. Well, I want to thank you both for, for being on the program this evening and talking about these issues because it really is so important, and I think you both are doing really important work. Um, so thank you so much. And I'll be posting every say, all those links that you mentioned. I'll be posting that on my website about, about this show, late the post that I do on my website about this show later this evening. So listeners will be able to find that. Um, thank you again. And uh, let's stay in touch. I'd love to have you both come back at a later date.
3: Wonderful. Thank you. Well, thank you. Thank you. All for right. Thank you very much for having us. Mark, great to okay. hear from you and talk with you. Thank you, Alex.
1: All right. You have a good evening. Bye-bye now.
3: You too. Thanks a lot. Bye-bye.
1: All right. We're going to take a brief break, and we'll be right back. All right, and we are back. If you're just joining us, this is Dr. Marikarpell and your golden years on blogtalkradio.com and on drmaricarpell.com. And I, you know, I ran over a bit with that interview on purpose because um I was going to continue to discuss um my forming of the family council and let anybody listening who's interested in, in doing that Um, in a facility where their loved one might live, how they can do it. But we were talking about it, and I think um, Alice and Mark gave some good information about that. Um, So I'm just going to talk for a couple of minutes before we go to Minerva, and I just want to let you know that we started the family council. We had our first meeting um, last Tuesday, and, um, you know, there were a few because it's virtual, you know, not everybody is really good. And I'm really good at getting on the Zoom, but also Zoom has changed a lot since I've been using it. And I set up the link and I was having trouble um, creating a link that was easy to use. So um, a couple of people had some difficulty, some persevered and made it onto the, meeting and and, um, one person was not able to. So um, we, I'm, you know, I brainstormed with that showed up and it was a nice size group for a first meeting about how to make the link a little easier for the next time and to, and ways of getting the word out to include even more people. And we had a really good meeting. The people that showed up, the family members, were really interested in in improving the quality of life for their family members. Um, they were not angry and trying to just, you know, complain. We, we were all working together from a positive perspective of how to make life better for our family members. And we came up with a plan to write a letter um, with a couple of things that we wanted to address with the administration that ad- that affects all of the residents in the facility. And they're pretty, we wanted to start with pretty easy softball issues. Um, and, you know, we're, uh, I said I would write a draft and then we're gonna pass it around for people to put their comments in and, kind of fix it up, and we decided that a letter would be the best way to do it right now rather than inviting an uh, administrator to the meeting, and we thought it would be better to invite an administrator to the to our meeting when we had more people there, that we thought we would have a stronger voice in a written letter signed by the family council and not just one person. So we're um, still working on some of the things that an action plan um, next meeting we decided to meet once a month and in the next meeting we decided we are going to come up with a a structure because this was sort of like a an introductory meeting. Uh, we want a structure to make sure that we don't let issues fall to the cracks, so we will start with old business um, follow up on what we discussed in the last meeting and then discuss new business. So I think, you know, it's coming along and I I really feel optimistic that this is going to grow and it's going to be a very, we will be a powerful voice in the facility. So I do really highly recommend um, that if you have a loved one in a long-term care community that you that you find out if there is a family council that you can join. And if there isn't, then work at creating a family council and maybe doing that with another family member um, that you meet at the community who's interested and also get the help of the ombudsman program. And um, because the ombudsman program, as I mentioned, uh did connect me with the statewide family council that is, that um exists in the state where my mom lives and they gave me very specific advice that was really really helpful and even sent me examples of letters to invite people and um other information that was really important so all right so um in the next time we uh speak, I think the next time we have a show, I think I will have had the second uh, meeting already, so i can I can follow up and let you know how it's going and Now we're gonna go to uh Baya Bandera, Mexico to talk with Minerva.
5: so high now, shows a man where to fish. Watch me send it, he lies in his hammock, teach his stories how to live, and he knows how to live. High in that mountain Watch the clouds rolling in Senorita They dance on that shoreline Making plans for that kiss And they know how to kiss They say that we're one hour behind But the Senorita Keep us in time. That part BCT just flows through my mind. It takes me back to my place. Punta Mita time.
1: All right, as we started doing last time, we're doing something a little bit different. And we're getting to know Reuben and Minerva. So, this evening, we're getting to know Minerva. Hola, Minerva.
6: Hi, how are you?
1: Good, how are you?
6: I'm good, thank you.
1: What are you doing these days now that you've graduated?
6: Well, right now, I'm training for like three shows I'm going to do, and I'm working too.
1: What, what kind of shows?
6: I'm going to do a circo show. I'm recently I'm in a like company called Madrugada, and I'm taking like shows, and I'm going to Ciudad de Mexico the next month.
1: Okay. Are you Are you enjoying that?
6: Yeah, yeah, I love it.
1: Great. All right. But we have some questions. We're gonna ask you some of the same questions that we asked Ruben. Um, okay. What's your favorite T V program or streaming series?
6: Uh I don't really watch either like too much T V but I um if I have time I watch like Interesting things like, I don't know, cooking series or
1: Mm
6: -hmm. like with fashion or animals.
1: Okay. Good for the two of you, not hooked on TV. That's great. Um, Yeah. What's your favorite sport?
6: Well, how you know, I love gymnastics, like aerials, or I love to swim too. Okay.
1: Okay. And of the places you've been to visit, what is your favorite?
6: Well, I don't really went like to many places but I love to visit where my family lives in Germany and well also the beaches here are really nice.
1: Okay. And what's your favorite food?
6: My favorite food. Well, last year I was vegan, so I really like um, falafel.
1: <laughs> okay. So you said you're vegan now?
6: Yeah. Well, I was vegetarian for like since I was fourteen or fifteen, and last September I went vegan.
1: All right. Great. Great. Is there a lot of are there a lot of options for you down there?
6: Not really, but I'm like experimenting, or now I'm cooking more, so it's it's good.
1: Okay, so you do you cook for yourself? That's, yeah, that's great, great. And and what's your favorite vegan dessert? I
6: would say salmon rolls, or well, carrot cake. I love too.
1: <laughs> okay, um, do you have a boyfriend? No. No, okay. Soon. <laughs> how how tall are you? What? How tall are you?
6: Oh, uh, I would say one point sixty nine centimeters or seventy. I'm not really sure.
1: So what does that convert to? For us um, Americans. <laughs> Oh, I'm not
6: really sure.
1: Okay. Okay. And what would be your perfect job? I would
6: say, well, doing what I love, like teaching acrobatics, and I want to travel more, so I would like to volunteer in different places.
1: Mm Mhm. Okay, and there, yeah, that just, that rooster is maybe the rooster trying <laughs> to tell us his name. <laughs> you don't know his I name. know. I'm going to put I'm going to, to putting a name. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you, Minerva. Now we're we know you more, and we'll do this again in the future when you when you have more going yet the next step of your life.
6: Yeah, I would love
1: to. Thank you very much. All right. Well, you have a good evening and adios. Adios. Stay
6: safe.
1: All right. So now we've come to the end of another program, and I want to let you know what's coming up. Um, We'll be taking a break from the program for the next couple of weeks, and then we'll be back with another live show on May 21st. And if you want to hear tonight's program again, read the information from the show, get those website links that we discussed on the program, go to my website, drmaricarpel.com, and that will all be posted later this evening. You can also listen to this evening's program in as soon as five minutes from now by going directly to blogtalkradio, Blog blogtalkradio.com slash your golden years. And you can also hear it on Apple Podcasts in five minutes. Be sure to follow me on Facebook, Facebook to find out what's coming up, Dr. Mara Carpell, Your Golden Years. This show was produced by Accomplice Entertainment and Psyched Up Productions and sponsored by A com. Thank you to my guests, Alice Bonner, Mark Miller, and Minerva of the Twins, Ruben and Minerva in Mexico. And thank you to Art. Thank you all for listening. Have a peaceful night and inspiring few weeks. And remember, youth have no age. Good night, everyone. Stay safe.
0: Any guidance offered by Dr. Carpel is not intended to replace the advice of your own physician or mental health specialist. Neither Dr. Carpel, her sponsors, nor this station assumes responsibility for the misuse of any information on this program.
3: Purchase necessary. BTW group. Void were
4: prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.